Welcome to the NFID podcast, Infectious Ideas. This is Marla Dalton, NFID Executive Director and CEO. And with me today is my co-host, Dr. Bill Schaffner. Bill, always wonderful to have you. Good to be with you, Marla. This year, as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of NFID and reflect on notable accomplishments while building momentum for the future, we are talking with infectious disease icons and public health heroes. Our guest today is Dr. Barney S. Graham, one of the true heroes of the COVID-19 pandemic. As former deputy director of the Vaccine Research Center at the National Institutes of Health, his innovative work in vaccine development resulted in safe and effective COVID-19 vaccines. Now at Morehouse School of Medicine, he is a professor and senior advisor for global health equity. He received the 2022 NFID Maxwell Finland Award for scientific achievement in recognition of his outstanding contributions to the understanding of infectious diseases and public health. Barney, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's nice to see my friends again. So, Barney, most of our listeners likely don't know that you are an aficionado of Mustangs and that you actually spent time farming as you were growing up. So we're interested in hearing a little bit more about that, but also how your experience on the farm developed into an interest in infectious diseases. Well, Mustangs are one of our favorites. Cynthia and I both had Mustangs when we married. My 71 Fastback Mustang was uh, one of my great joys early on. But the farm was perhaps even more important because the farming experience I had during my teenage years in particular was a place where I learned how to solve problems and where I learned to appreciate biology. And the biology in farming is all around you. And whether it's the crops or the animals, microbes are a big part of that. And I learned how to vaccinate horses, cattle, and pigs while I was growing up on the farm. And I saw their value during that time. So now the farm was very important to me, both for my introduction to biology and for my interest in, I think, a lot of my ability to do problem solving. Well, Barney, the farm is a long way from the NIH. You led the NIH Vaccine Research Center during one of the most tumultuous times in public health history. Uh, was that the greatest challenge you faced in your career? Well, you might be surprised by this answer, but the COVID response was something we'd been preparing for for quite some time. And, and because of the people I had to work with and the systems I had to work with, I would not say it was the greatest challenge. It, it may have been the, maybe some of the more important things we did, but in terms of challenges, I found other parts of my career and life to be more challenging than that episode of my life. But the things that gave me the most challenge were often at the institutional level. So for young people growing up in infectious diseases, so the institutional issues to overcome to do the work were often much more challenging than actually doing the work. And often the solutions to those institutional problems were by individuals. And so I think I've learned over time that to get through a lot of the challenges and problems you have at the institutional level, you have to develop relationships with individuals who can help you solve and get through the problems uh, and get to the other side where you can carry on the work. 
That sounds like a life lesson that extends beyond careers and into personal issues also. Every aspect of life. So, Barney, expanding on that a little bit, I'm curious what some of the biggest changes you've seen in the field over the years. Well, the changes in science, I think, have been the most dramatic. And that has been something I've been writing about and thinking about the last 10 or 15 years, because the ability to see things at the atomic level or solve problems at the molecular level or at the single cell level are just uh, stunning to me. Even though I'm in the middle of it, uh, given where I started 35 or 40 years ago, some of the things we can do now and some of the questions we can answer are still stunning to me. So to me, the big changes in science are that is our ability to solve things with a lot of precision. Big changes in clinical medicine, and I have not actively seen patients, I have not had a private practice, but what I seeking is that it's been kind of an industrialization of healthcare. And it seems like the business of health has become more important than healthcare. And I think it presents a lot of problems going forward to us as clinicians and physicians and, and how to provide health care to everyone. And so I see that as a great challenge. And I don't know that I have answers for that issue that I see. But to me, that is one of the great changes that has happened since I was an intern at Vanderbilt Hospital all those many years. Well, those are certainly sobering thoughts. And I must say, I think they're shared by uh, many of us. But let me go back to the science. And you were talking about our enhanced capacity at the laboratory bench. Your work on mRNA technology has made a profound impact on vaccine design. Now, let's look to the future. What do you see as some of the most exciting new developments in preventing future pandemics? Well, mRNA is definitely a big new addition to our armamentarium for addressing pandemic threats, particularly in rapid response to pandemics. But overall, I'm more excited about what we have the capacity for in terms of preparing for the next pandemic. For vaccine preparedness, we have a new improving capacities for high throughput sequencing, which gives us a chance to do better surveillance and recognize problems earlier and be able to respond more quickly. These new technologies that I mentioned a few minutes ago, they give us the capacity to, to solve structures, to design antigens, to do that with a great precision to understand the tropism and pathogenesis of viral diseases in particular. And, and I think we have the tools, and based on our response in COVID, which you know, included maybe 350 different vaccine programs around the world based on the WHO landscape analysis, we have a lot of capacity to prepare and to do things. And if we are able to achieve the will or generate the will to really tackle all the 26 viral families that are not going to humans, I think that we could be much better prepared for future pandemics. And I think that, to me, is exciting because I really think it's within our grasp to do that. You know, I've heard you talk about this a little bit in other circumstances. So say just a little bit more about those 
26 viral families from which potential pandemic viruses could arise. I think I've heard you say we could do preliminary vaccine work on all of them, have them on the shelf, and if a virus from one of these families suddenly began to look as though they were a pandemic, we could take that technology off the shelf. We'd have a head start in developing a vaccine. Do I have your ideas down reasonably? Uh, that is the general idea. And I think the coronavirus response was really an example of what we call the prototype pathogen approach to pandemic preparedness because we started working on uh, structures of the spike protein for coronavirus back in 2013 and 14 when we had just had our second pandemic threat, the MERS coronavirus, uh, about 10 years after the first coronavirus pandemic, right, the SARS-CoV-1 back in 2002. And having that structure, knowing how to design the antigen, knowing that that antigen delivered as a protein or an RNA can effectively prevent lethal challenge from a virus uh, like MERS coronavirus. Before the current SARS-CoV-2 pandemic occurred, uh, that gave us a clear pathway toward developing something rapidly that we thought would likely work against this new virus. And that same idea could be carried into other virus families, like paramyxoviruses. We, we had a similar program for Nipah virus that we think could be applied to other paramyxoviruses. And there is a need for programs to do the same thing for flaviviruses and alphaviruses and the whole order of bunnyviruses, which is now four or five different families. And so I think with the tools we have to understand pathogenesis and really define mechanisms of immunity and get precise uh, structures and antibody binding sites, all these things that we can do now, I think it would put us in a position, if not to have something ready to go on the shelf, but at least something we could rapidly make and, and redesign, re-influence. So I don't know if keeping it on the shelf in a stockpile is sustainable uh, in terms of just expense and life cycle management, but having the knowledge on the shelf and having a way to do it and rapidly do it with some of these new technologies like mRNA delivery, then I think that puts us in a much stronger position than we're currently in because we're not nearly as well prepared for other threats as we were for the coronavirus, which was a terrible, terrible problem. But in some ways, we were fortunate to be as prepared as we were for that so the science is certainly fascinating and the preparedness is important, but I'm shifting gears now to an equally important issue. Barney even quoted as saying that given the outcomes of the COVID-19 pandemic, you want to spend the rest of your professional career improving health equity. Can you describe that important work a little bit? What I see is that we have the scientific tools and there's a scientific roadmap for many of the problems that we face and the technologies are expanding exponentially, and there's a whole army of young people who know how to do this. And I felt like it was time for me to step away. I've completed some of the tasks that I wanted to complete in my scientific career. And what I saw as the biggest problem that came out of the COVID response was that 
we weren't able to immunize the whole world in six months, and it's going to take us six years or more to, to actually do that. And, and I think not being able to provide access to life-saving interventions and pandemic-controlling interventions around the world that are quicker and more equitably is a major problem that has to be addressed. The other problem that's related it's different, but related because it has a similar outcome. And that is among people who have access to these kind of interventions and the ability to gain immunity without being infected. Among people who had access to vaccine, about 30% of them decided not to take it. And so there's a problem with both access and uptake. And those two problems, I think, require a lot more attention. And, and so I decided to join the faculty at Morehouse School of Medicine. And Morehouse is a, an HBCU medical school. It was founded around 1975, and its focus has been and will be health equity. And they are experts in advocating for and fighting for health equity. And, and so I joined that faculty is much for them to help educate me on how to do this going forward. And, and so I'm very excited about being there at Morehouse. It's a place where there is a lot of talent that I think can be developed. And it's a good place from which I can make some of these arguments about. A lot of important work to be done. We certainly look forward to your learnings and your teachings and your leadership in this area. I think that many of us are striving to do that each in our own way, but leadership is very important, and I love your global vision, Barney. But let's talk about some of those young people you mentioned. What advice would you have for the next generation of infectious disease professionals, the young people coming up? Uh, that is a long question. And, it, and as you know, below, it probably took you at least four years to impart a tenth of what you'd have to tell me as we went along. But there is so much noise in the universe about what to do and, and how to do it. I think that it's not uncommon for people to get distracted and off track. And, and so one of the things that I've learned in my career is that when you're doing a clinical medicine, if you make patient needs the main thing, make sure that is stays the main thing, you will do well and not make many mistakes. And if you're doing clinical research, you need to make the volunteer the main thing, the volunteer interests. And if you're doing basic research, you need to make the truth about biology the main thing and not how it's going to be published or who's going to get the credit. I think if you keep patients and volunteers and biology the center of your focus and how you make decisions, I think you will do well. So, Barney, besides worrying about your grown children, and I believe it's eight grandchildren now, I'd like to know what most keeps you awake at night these days. Well, I sleep pretty well overall. I guess the thing that concerns me the most is that in this new era where we do have the scientific tools and capacities and resources and young people to do the work and solve the problems going forward, that they have access to the resources and they have access to the facilities and, and just the, 
the overall uh, ability to solve those problems. So I think the problems that we face are solvable with the tools that we already have, let alone the ones that will be coming over the next few years. And so I just hope that we can recognize that threats from the natural world are probably still our greatest threat beyond threats from each other. And figuring out a way to reimagine how we spend our resources and make sure these young people that are coming through have what they need to solve the problems that I think we have the resources to solve. To me, that is one of our greatest issues. It's in science, but not policy and practices in place to, to really solve the problems that it. And, and clearly, equity plays a role there too, no question. So, Barney, before we sign off, first of all, let me thank you so much for joining us. I think, as expected, this was a, a fascinating discussion. But I would like to give you the same opportunity that we give to all of our guests, and that is, what is the myth that you would most like to bust? I think one of the great myths or misunderstandings as people go through a career is that sharing and being generous with your resources, with credit, with uh, know-how and sharing information, especially when it involves healthcare and, and science, that that will somehow harm you or create a situation where you would not make as much progress or not gain as much yourself as you otherwise would. And, and what I've found in my career is that I often receive more credit uh, the more I try to give credit away. And it is a surprising, non-intuitive phenomenon, but I would just encourage people to be generous with the way they share resources and share knowledge and share know-how with each other. Barney, I love your generous thought. We've been talking today with Dr. Barney Graham, whose pivotal work on vaccine design laid the groundwork for life-saving vaccines for use around the world. Thanks again for joining us, Barney. And thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of Infectious Ideas, a podcast series presented by the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, where leading experts join us for thought-provoking conversations that lead to infectious ideas. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about NFID, please be sure to visit us online at nfid.org. Until next time, thank you.